so I've already alluded to it, but one of the age-old questions that the Bible deals with is not just why bad things happen to good people, but, but also why do good things happen to bad people? How do you navigate that? This is something, a struggle we see throughout the Scriptures, and I just want to give you a few examples of that. So just a quick tour through some places where the biblical authors are dealing with that tension of why in the world are good things happening to those people? In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, the prophet Habakkuk looks around him, he prays to God, here's what he prays. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing the wicked, him, and the righteous so that justice is perverted? And Habakkuk wants to know, why are you letting the bad people get away with it? In the book of Ecclesiastes, the author of Ecclesiastes, he says this, there is something meaningless. There's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserves. The author of Ecclesiastes looks out in the world and says, that this has got to be meaningless. At least it would appear meaningless. And then later in the book of Psalms, an author named Asa, he struggles with this, struggles in a very deep way. We'll eventually get to it. Psalm 73, here's what we read. Asaph will say, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. All day long I have been afflicted. So I go about doing all the right things, and then my life falls apart. But they, they go around doing all the wrong things, and they prosper. I guess it was all in vain. Throughout the Scriptures, this struggle it's woven into so many passages. That's just a few. Psalm 37 is one of the longer passages where the Bible's trying to deal with the tension when it seems like everything's going right for the wicked, and yet the righteous continue to suffer. And in Psalm 37, David, near, near probably closer to death, he's in his old age, he looks back on his life and he reflects on this very thing. The thing we see in Habakkuk and Ecclesiastes, later in the book of Psalms, and we see in other places. He's going to give us wisdom on how to navigate life when it seems like life is just very unfair. And I think we'll find there are some real practical things for us. Now this psalm is in a Hebrew acrostic. If you remember, we hit this back in Psalm 34. Literally every section of the psalm, every four lines, starts with a successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. You can't see it in the English. And so it's made up of a bunch of wisdom sayings, 40 verses, that help us navigate real life when life seems unfair. It's such a thick psalm, such a deep psalm, that I want to take this psalm and split it into two. I want to take the first section this Sunday, and then we're going to take the second section the following Sunday. It's the first time we've done that, but there's so much here, I don't want us to miss the wisdom for how to live life when life seems really unfair. So we pick up, if you have your Bible, Psalm 37, we'll pick up with verse 1, we'll go through verse 20. 
And here is this series of wisdom sayings. He starts Psalm 37 of David. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither, and like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Will dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteousness, your righteous reward, shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, and those who hope in the Lord, well, they will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, well, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and rejoice and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked fought against the righteous, and they gnashed their teeth at them. But the wicked, uh, sorry, but the Lord laughed at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked, they draw the sword, they bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But well, their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The blameless, they spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, well, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. But the wicked will perish. Though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. They will go up in smoke. A series of wisdom sayings. And the key command that stands out repeated three times, and when it's repeated, it's important. It's that command David gives to start off the psalm and then repeats two more times. It is, do not fret. Another way to translate fret would be, don't be agitated, or do not be worried. The way we would say it in contemporary English is like, man, that's worrying me to death. Man, I couldn't sleep last night because I was so worried. We're consumed, worried, agitated about something that seems unfair. And yet for David, he says, don't fret about it. Don't be consumed with it. Don't worry yourself to death about it. And he says, because if you do, there's two paths, and both will lead you in the wrong direction. So on the one hand, there we have what, what he mentions in verse 1, is if you fret too much, you'll actually be tempted to be envious. You'll envy the people that are getting what you think you deserve. You see, you see, they're getting all the good things, and you begin to covet them, and you wish you, you were them. You wish you could have everything they have. And envy begins to eat you from the inside because you envy what they have because you're fretting about it so much because you're dealing with suffering and yet they seem to have everything right. And so you just become envious of everything they have. And that will always lead to a heart that will be consumed with by itself. Now the other path is anger and rage and revenge. That's what he says in verse 8. You see, if you fret so much, not this you become envious, but there is another way 
there's another direction where you get frustrated because God's not doing anything. Why isn't God making things right? And so you begin to think you could take things into your own hands. You can make things happen. And when you start making things happen, you start getting revenge. Anger starts coming out. You see, if you worry so much about your suffering and their prosperity, eventually you're going to become envious or you're going to try to make things happen and their anger and wrath and revenge will grow. David says, don't, don't do it. Both paths will lead to bad things. Do not fret. Don't worry yourself to death. When things don't seem fair, you trust the Lord. And the reason that he would say trust the Lord is because he knows after living so much life at this point, the wicked will not win. And their prosperity, it's not eternal. Like, it doesn't last forever. Just a few places he says this. We'll just take uh, just a quick review of what we just read. Verse 2, 10, and 20. Take a look. For like the grass, they're soon going to wither. Like green plants, they're soon going to die away. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. The Lord's enemies are like flowers of a field. They'll be consumed. They will go up in smoke. Don't worry yourself to death over their prosperity, because I want you to understand, it doesn't last forever. God is still in control, and God will still ensure that justice is done. It just might take a minute or years. But don't you worry. What you see all the prosperity, all the good that seems to be coming their way, God will deal with it. He's never been out of control. He knows exactly what He's doing. And you know, you know what will happen to all the, all the people who are suffering, those that are righteous, those that are trying to do right, those that are trusting the Lord. David says, they, they're going to inherit the land. God will establish their ways. God's going to hold them. And so just a quick review of how he says that, just a few places, verse 17 and 19, the Lord upholds the righteous, and in times of disaster, they're not going to wither. Now, it doesn't mean that because you're righteous, you don't suffer. Actually, no, you probably will suffer, but don't you worry, because you will not wither even in the midst of suffering. And David, after many years of walking with God and failing a lot, has learned that God will hold on to His people. The wicked, their prosperity is temporary. They're like beautiful flowers that will wither. But the righteous, although they look withered, ah, they will grow and bloom, and they will inherit a land with a great inheritance, and the Lord will hold them forever and ever. So injustice, injustice does not win. God will establish justice on the earth. The problem with that promise, by the way, is that you can't see it right now. That's the struggle. Because we want to see it now, right? But we can't see it right now. That leads us right here. And I've decided, let me just write this out. This is where I think it leads us. Knowing God's going to do something, but you can't see it right now. It leads us here. The only way to live each day without being consumed with worry or envy or anger about our suffering and other people's prosperity, is that we're going to have to trust God. And I don't want you to miss this. 
And we're going to have to believe that he's smart enough and he's good enough to actually know what he's doing in our lives and in this world. God actually knows what he's doing. I think one of the tensions inside of us is we think we know best. And so if God, if God could just, if I could just explain to God what's going on, he would clearly see what he needs to do. And so we try to help him out. But he's God. And he's good. And so God knows exactly what's happening. And he knows exactly how to ensure that everything happens according to his will. And so if we actually understand he's smart enough and he's good and everything's happening just as it should, then we probably should trust him. We probably should trust him. It's why David lands there in the psalm, at least in the first section. Verse 5, he says, commit your way. The Hebrew behind your way is the, way, is the word that would mean your whole life. Your whole life. So your way is actually every part of your ordinary life. You literally give all of that into following God, into whatever you might be facing. So you commit your way to the Lord, and you trust Him. So there's another version of this in the book of Proverbs. It's so funny because someone sent that. I'm in a group thread, and someone sent this verse, this passage, into the group thread this week. And I thought, ah, how fitting. It fits right in with Psalm 37. You see, the, the, the book of Proverbs version of Psalm 37, 5, is this. Maybe you've read it before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. The key to trusting the Lord in the midst of what appears to be an unfair world is you don't trust that you have all the answers. You trust Him. And you trust that everything he says and everything he does, well, that it is good. Even if it doesn't feel that way or appear that way, whatever is happening, God has a plan. This isn't some generic things just, things just happen for a reason. No, this is the personal God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in sovereign control of the universe, ensuring that things are going according to plan for the good of his people. And so we don't lean on our understanding, we lean on Him. Even when it doesn't feel right and it doesn't appear right, we trust that he's, he's got everything under control because He actually is smart enough and He is good. Now, the, the, the way you might say this, um, the way you would say this if you were a Lord of the Rings fan, is you go back to that moment where uh, uh, Gandalf and Frodo are having this conversation about this great ring of power and Frodo learns that Bilbo had an opportunity to kill Gollum. He's like, why didn't, you, why didn't Bilbo kill Gollum? And Frodo, Gandalf has to explain to Frodo, you don't know everything. You think some should die and others live, and yet some should live who die. And then he gets to this point where Gandalf will say, even the very wise do not see all things. One of my favorite lines in all of Tolkien's work. Even the very wise do not see all things. 
But man, when you are suffering and you see others who should not be suffering, but I mean, aren't, aren't, that shouldn't be prospering, but are prospering, that's the moment where you feel we got to get God, we need to explain to God exactly what's going on. Because obviously, I see all ends. And the Bible way of saying what Gandalf tells Frodo, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do not lean on your understanding. And there's a humbling there, right? That you don't have it. You do not know all ends. You're not smart enough to have all this figured out. One person is. It is God. Now, the difficult part about trusting the Lord is that thing that has to come alongside trust. I think it's probably one of the most difficult things in human life. It's waiting. It's waiting. Who wants to wait? I don't want to wait. We've already talked about this for many weeks over my years here. Who wants to stand in a grocery line? It is much better to try to figure out which one's going to be fastest and beeline to that one. No one wants to wait. And you know my opinion about Jackson Street and Old Farm Road. Nobody wants to wait. But the key to trusting the Lord is you have to put it alongside it. Patience. And so it should be no surprise that as David is clearing the way for trusting the Lord, committing all your way to the Lord, trust in Him, he puts right alongside it in verse 7 this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their evil schemes. Be still and wait. Because the one that's going to make sure that everything is made right, He is smart enough, good enough, and He is in control. But you're going to have to wait. Now, you might think, but God never has to suffer through this. Like, God doesn't have to struggle with patience or trust until you think about the one human that had to live into this in a way no other human has. The one human that had to trust God in a way no other human has had to trust as he was suffering the greatest injustice any human has ever suffered. He had to live into Psalm 37. He had to commit his way to God. And he had to trust that God would eventually judge justly. He would not walk down a path of envy and he didn't walk down a path of anger and revenge. He walked straight into God's will in the midst of all the suffering while all the wicked seemed to prosper. You know who that is. It's Jesus. Jesus. God in flesh. He had to live out in a way no other human has had to do it. He had to live out Psalm 37. And so when we think about when we think about ourselves having to live into this, and we say, but that's not fair. The one person who could claim that's not fair kept walking into the reality of Psalm 37, committing his way to the Lord, waiting patiently, believing that God, his Father, would judge justly. And it just so happens he did. The Apostle Peter reflects back on this moment in Jesus' life and he actually words it in just this way. I wonder, we don't know this to be fact, but I just wonder if Peter had Psalm 37 echoing in his mind as he penned this verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When they hurled insults at him, he, Jesus, 
did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Psalm 37 is teaching us to walk the very road Jesus walked. Except Jesus is the only one that could ever say this is purely injustice. Because as much as we might think ourselves righteous, the suffering Jesus suffered was not just because Roman soldiers were beating him, or Pontius Pilate was arrogant, or the religious leaders in Palestine had a chip on their shoulder. He suffered because of me. You see, he bore my sins. It actually was my wickedness that he bore. If anybody could ever say, that's not fair, it was Jesus. And what did he do? He kept entrusting himself to God, knowing that God his Father would ensure all things were made right. And did he come back from the grave that night? No. Three days later, he came back to life. Even Jesus walked through a bit of a waiting period. And so, for us, this is a humbling moment. And I think there's some application, right? I think there's some application. So when I think about like what all this does for us, and like how does it get down into ordinary life for us, right? This, this struggle when things seem very unfair, and they are prospering, and I'm suffering, how in the world do you live into that? Even knowing Jesus and all that he did and all that I did to make Jesus suffer. Like, how do I live into that? Well, I think there's a couple points of application. I think there's a lot more. We're going to obviously grab at some more application when we finish the second half next Sunday. But here's what I think we can walk away with this morning. How it gets down into, like, your ordinary life and mine. We'll go with the first point here. We need God's perspective more than Hallmark cards. That's what I think. Now, i got nothing against Hallmark cards, and i got nothing against Hallmark movies, necessarily. Okay? Necessarily. This is not a blanket condemnation of Hallmark. What I'm trying to get at is this, right here. What's going to get us through each day, especially in hard times, is not fleeting inspirational quotes or good vibes, but rather the solid timeless truth that the Bible gives us. That's what's going to get you through. Now listen, you can pick up a Hallmark card or grab a meme, an inspirational meme off the internet, and I'm telling you, you can feel good for a moment. But that's not going to get you through. When you're suffering and everyone else seems to be doing fine, you need God's perspective. David, by inspiration, is giving us a perspective we desperately need. He's telling us, I know it seems unfair, but I need you to know God's got this. And so something Psalm 37 does for us is it continues to remind us that left to ourselves, we're going to walk a lot of different paths and none of it will be good for us. We need God's perspective when we are very confused or we're struggling with something very difficult in life. We need God's perspective. The only thing that's timeless, the thing that you can stand on and know it will not crumble, is God's Word. And I just don't take my word for it here. The prophet Isaiah, so many years ago, said it this way, Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flowers fall, 
the word of the Lord, it endures forever. It'll endure well past the Hallmark card. It'll last you all the way to your deathbed. And then Jesus, if you remember, like he's being tempted by Satan and Satan says, turn those stones into bread. Jesus' response, Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered to Satan, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's a reason you need to be here every Sunday. Not just so you can bring your tithe check. But you know you've got to bring that. It's not because of that. It's because you need God's Word. Now, you need it every day. But you know the one place you can guarantee you're going to get it, and you're going to get it live in a way that will be right here where you live, it's going to be in a church where the Bible's preached. You need that. Now, I need that. And it is. That's why. That's why. Every Sunday, we are trying to grab for a solid meal to continue to get us through the week. Because we need something solid, not something flimsy or temporary. That's why coming to church is important. It has very little to do with you can check something off your to-do list or God will be happy with you. You need a good meal. Because so often in life, it stinks. And we need this. We need this perspective to counter all the other ones we're getting. Alright, here's another one. Here's the second last application. We need less exposure to those things that increase our worry, envy, and anger. I think one of the things that works against us most, and it's more of a, it's really a newer thing for us. Um, I don't think it's new. Like, I don't think this, this temptation is new. I just think it is, it, 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 is, it is so pervasive that it just increases uh, to a level maybe we haven't felt. One of the things that works against us, I think, the most, particularly when we are suffering or something's going wrong in our life and we're struggling, is you pop up on Facebook and you just do your scroll roll and all you see is everyone else doing great. And yet your life's falling apart. And what happens when you get done doing all your scrolling as your life is struggling and yet everyone else is doing, you know, everyone else is perfect? You're more depressed on the other end of that scroll. Because what are we doing? All we're doing is comparing ourselves to everyone else. And, on, and in social media, no one truly is going to expose their darkness. It's smiles, it's rainbows, it's unicorns, or it's funny reels. This is what you get. And so sometimes the best thing you could do is stop comparing yourself to everyone else because you really don't know all else that is going on. But man, the illusion that you do is right there every time you scroll. You scroll. So one of the things we could do is just limit that. And the other thing is, like, at a less personal level, is this. The news is built, it, like I'm talking about the news cycle, is built on advertising. They need you to click and watch. And so they, they make sure that there's a constant stream of drama. And I'm not saying there's nothing bad happening in the world. But if all you do is watch news, you wouldn't think much of 
anything good ever happens. And if you, if you and I live in the news cycle, we will constantly be worried about things we have no control over. So we need to be very careful how much we live in a news cycle that's built on drama and advertisement. So you limit that exposure. And there's just a couple of things. I'm just trying to think of these ways, certain ways that stop us from thinking everything's right out there and everything's wrong here and that's just unfair. We need to limit our exposure to those things. Because most people got junk. And, and we need to know the bad things happening internationally, God's going to handle that too. He's not unaware. So when I thought about like taking all of that and thinking about like, well, what does that look like in a next step? Like, what can you do this week I thought, well, maybe it's not something you do. Maybe this week the next step needs to be something you don't do. Here we go. Here's what I'm thinking. At least one day this week, do not listen to, watch, or talk about something or someone that is worrying or angering you. Now, here's the key. Let your silence, because I'm, I'm, I'm pulling on silence here. Let your silence train you to be patient, knowing that God is in control of whatever you're praying about. Now, something like you need to talk about it because, like, it got to be dealt with. But I think you can take a day and don't talk about it. And in that day of silence, you're trusting God's going to take care of us. Because the more we talk about the thing that worries us, the more we fret. And the more tempted we are to go either envy or anger and try to make things happen. So whatever you're worried about, whatever you're fretting about, take a day. Don't talk about it. Or if it's something that is happening in the news, maybe the stuff happening in Palestine, Hamas, and Israel, maybe that has just really worried you, do not watch the news one day. Whatever your thing is or your someone is, take a day and give that to God. And give that to God. It's not, I'm not trying to be super spiritual. What I mean is, just don't talk about it. Or don't listen to things about it. Or don't watch about it. And it's in that day, you are slowly learning to be patient. Because I can guarantee you, bad people who are doing bad things... God will take care of them. But it's not your job to ensure it happens on your timetable. And man, that's a hard one. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word and the wisdom you gave David. So at this point in his life, to write it down for us. And thank you for the example of Jesus. Now help us. We need lots of help with this. And I'm just going to leave it there. Just help us. Help us in a personal way. We thank you for your word and your perspective. And we desperately need it. We pray that in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.